One, two, three, vamos! Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, good morning. This is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. We're super excited today to be joined by co-hosts. Hey, Karen. Hi, it's Karen from Boston Red Cloaks. And Laura. Hi, I'm Laura from the Boston Red Cloaks. When we last chatted, it was about to be time for the Women's March, which happened. I know that, Laura, you went to a fantastic event in Acton and you met a very exciting candidate. So can you share with us, please? Yeah, um, I, I went to the uh, the rally that was held in Acton, and um, there were a lot of great speakers there, especially one who stood out for me, um, who's here with us today. Um, <laughs> her name is Vivian Birchall, and she is running for state rep, 14th Middlesex. She's good morning, Vivian. Today. Hi. Hi, good morning. So excited to be here with you all. Thank you for coming. You spoke at the event? Yes. I spoke at the event. It was such an energizing moment. Uh, I was, was speaking alongside our other legislators, our state senator, our current representative for the 14th Middlesex District, uh, Representative Tammy Govea, and uh, um, our select board uh, member, Himaja Nagyaradi, and other activists in, uh, in our town and our district. So I was, and our state, I was extremely excited. Why was it so important for you to come out at that event at this time? One, I'm a woman who has reproductive needs and healthcare needs, and who has been through this healthcare system, navigating the complexity of it as a new immigrant woman who needed services and couldn't access them because of the complexity of health in our country. So this was an opportunity for me to share this story and to add my voice to the already frustrated, the so many frustrated women and um, like me. And I'm a mother to two young girls. So I, was, I had to fight for, uh, to be a voice for them. Since, since the March, um, speaking of the Texas abortion ban, first, a court struck it down and then days later the ban was reinstated and something that we've talked about here before is how important state measures are so when you look at running for state office um, what kinds of health health initiatives would you like to see happen uh, one of the things that um, I care deeply about is seeing healthcare for all, supporting healthcare for all. Because when we don't take care of our, our own people, people living in our own communities, then we are failing. Uh, we cannot progress economically uh, if we don't have healthy people. We cannot progress in our schools if we don't have uh, healthy children. Uh, it's, it's like healthcare is a primary need for our survival. You know, we're saying we have to fight climate change and we know that some of the effects of climate change are health, health related. So if we don't have a coverage, if a, a group of our people do not have access to healthcare, then we are fighting a losing battle. So I certainly will be supporting all kind of uh, initiatives that will, will provide healthcare for all. One thing that's come up in the state now is around better access for medication abortion at public universities. Mm -hmm. And so I know there's not, I mean, I don't know, is there a public university in your district and what would be your district? But you no, know, 
One thing we've also seen is it's really important to have state legislators in every district across the state step up to support things that might impact people in a different part of the state. In this case, though, students from the high school there could end up at a public university in Massachusetts. So does that feel like an issue that you would help move forward? And if so, what would you see as your role to play other than, you know, voting when it comes up, if it comes up on the floor for a vote? Tell you a little bit of a story about um, my interaction with education and reproductive rights for for girls and uh, young women. So I and this is one of the stories uh, that I told at the at the rally. I was I went to school in a girls school. It was a girls school, and um, at that age, girls were rediscovering their um, femininity and womanhood, and they were also getting to get interest in uh, sex and relationships with young boys. And because there wasn't, sometimes there wasn't adequate health, edu uh, sex education, girls ended up in compromising situations where they ended up pregnant. And uh, I'm only mentioning this because sometimes it's easy for us as a communities, as countries, as states to pass uh, or to stop uh, certain legislations without understanding why we need the legislation. But when we understand that girls and women get pregnant because of different reasons, either they were raped or they, they didn't know that whatever they were doing was going to end up, if they're young girls, that they're going to end up having a pregnancy or that they didn't realize that they could have safe sex because nobody taught them, then they're going to fall in a trap. And unless we understand that as legislators, then we're going to be, we will not be able to help come up with strategies that will support uh, the girl child or the young woman. So as a legislator, I come into this space with that experience as a person who has lived it and as a, as a woman who has who has wanted access to, say, uh, contraception. But uh, first of all, I didn't know what contraception options are out there because maybe I don't have access to doctors. I didn't have access at the time to doctors that would take me through the options. Or, and some young girls or women are new immigrants. They are so intimidated by our complex healthcare system, or they don't have status, uh, immigration status, and so they don't have coverage. So, but at the same time, that doesn't change the physical makeup of a woman. You know, not having access to all these things doesn't change us. So, we still need some of these services because we want to control how many children we have in this economy because we cannot afford childcare and there's no childcare access. And the childcare costs are out there. I mean, they're on top of the earth. So if you have a child, you're gonna end up missing school. So, and if you look at our students, if they are going to complete their education and their young girls, it's very critical for them to have access to contraception. So I don't know whether <laughs> I've, going around the issue in many ways, but uh, <laughs> there are so many layers. That's what I'm trying to say. There's so many layers to this conversation about contraceptions, reproductive health, and healthcare access. And they're intertwined in many ways. And uh, it, we have to address all these layers in order to have a comprehensive strategy that works.
Yeah, I agree because it's, I always see it as an economic issue. Uh, it keeps people educated, it keeps them employed, it keeps them in safe housing, it keeps them in safe relationships, it gives them autonomy over their, their lifestyle choices, and then they can be whole people and live meaningful lives. So there, it, it touches absolutely everything. It isn't just about a sperm and an egg. So true. And I think the opposite of contraception is becoming pregnant. And this summer, we worked together with groups across the state to have a feminist film series. And we talked about the documentary Nine to Five and the effort for women to unionize. And one of the themes we pulled out, as you said, everything's interrelated, is about caregiving. And whether it's kids or senior parents or a spouse who has a debilitating illness, often it's women who are doing caregiving for their loved ones. And then women also, we've seen in the pandemic, end up in a lot of the healthcare roles that are the least paid, the least protected. In terms of caregiving, mm-hmm. um, often which is either unpaid or underpaid, Right. what are some ways that you would like to see changes made? Well, for starters, as someone again who has had to be for, who has been forced out of a workforce because of the lack of childcare, I care deeply about uh, legislation that will provide childcare for working for mothers who want to continue being in the workforce. And like Karen pointed out, that it's not just the care part of it; it's the economy. When we look at just Massachusetts as a state, statistics show that there are more women in Massachusetts than men. And so if we have a large number of that percentage out of the workforce because of lack of childcare, what is that doing to our economy? If we can look at women as a resource for our economic, sustainable economic development, then we will be more serious about legislation that will support women to keep them in the workforce and at the same time give education to our young children. Uh, I will be supporting efforts to get all children in preschool, efforts to provide childcare services for working mothers, and also. I will support efforts to have debt-free college education because mm-hmm. that is important. I can't give a definite map of how we're going to achieve it, but I know that I will certainly pay a lot of attention to all the proposals we have in the house and make sure that I look at it with an equity lens, racial justice lens, and look at it at a financial equity lens as well, uh, because I have also been a part of of the demographic that struggled financially through many aspects of my life, uh, even in Uganda. So I care a lot about people who cannot afford many of the services that are critical to the well-being of a household. I love that. The equity lens, a racial justice lens, an economic lens. You seem to have brought a lot of that from your experiences in Uganda. It seems as if when you arrived in this region, at any rate, that uh, you wasted absolutely no time getting involved in local local issues from uh, you know being a, a neighborhood organizer you've got the um you're part of the acton democratic town committee you uh act in tv you have your own shows which are of a great variety uh and uh you're you're involved with you have something to say about land use in the area economic development you've trained hospital staff to understand cultural differences goodness did you ever have <laughs> time to cook 
<laughs> That's a great question. And you know what I, one of the skills that I hope to, uh, that I want to bring to the state house is my ability to multitask. So I do some of these things while cooking. And that's what oh. makes <laughs> Oh, you totally got Karen there, Karen. <laughs> so I, I will be cooking while uh, maybe recording an audio of a script for one of my shows or while Zooming in on our community event. I'm a part, I'm a member of the board of directors for United Way that does a, a terrific job filling in the gaps for financial inclusion and, and literacy, mental health care, and other, you know, emergency response when there is a fire in the community or um, when there's food insecurity, which is another big shameful thing that we should not have in the state of Massachusetts. There is, it's not excusable to have so many households suffering from food insecurity. How can, how does that happen in a state like ours? Yes. So um, anyway, again, back to the multitasking, it is what we, you know, we have to do. It's in a way, as women, we are multitaskers, we design that way, uh, but then it doesn't mean that we should, that, um, we can't bring on board other people to help uh, provide an enabling environment for us. That's why we need to keep fighting for equity so that uh, some of the things, we shouldn't go back to what happened 50 years ago, you know? Uh, that's just simply not right. So anyway, I hope to continue doing that in the state house, <laughs> multitasking and fighting for our community. Yeah, food, food and advocacy make fine friends. <laughs> I love totally. that. <laughs> you have a little recipe book brewing in you, I think. You were talking about food insecurity. I did a quick search. Project Red statistic is 23.1% of households in Massachusetts with children in them are food insecure. I think one thing when people look at Acton is they see a pretty affluent community, but every community has within it a range of people with different economic means. When you think about collaborating with legislators across the state on any big problem, whether it's food insecurity or childcare, anything big, what are your skills or experiences collaborating with other people? Collaboration and building coalitions and network is something that I've done over the course of my career, uh, both again in during experiences from Uganda and uh, when I moved here in Hawaii and now in uh, Massachusetts. So just to give you a little bit of a brief bio about my work in Uganda, <laughs> I worked for the government uh, of Uganda in uh, what we call for, there were two organizations. First, it was with the parliament. Um, whether I was working for a body called the African Parliamentarians Network Against Corruption. And the, so my job was to build memberships of members, legislators, that's what we, we call the members of parliament, to pass legislation that would increase access to information um, in Uganda and improve transparency. So um, I through that work, the, we needed to work with many legislators, many of whom such legislation would, would go against them. So it was, that's where the art of uh, diplomacy came in and uh, negotiating and building networks. And we managed to, you know, to still bring on board 
over 100 uh, legislators to support a different kind of transparency related legislation. So that is something I pride myself in. And the second uh, job I did was uh, working for the National Planning Authority, but my particular role was an, a regional program called it's the African Union. I don't know how, whether you're familiar with the structures of uh, African governance, but the African Union is the governing body for, you know, for all the African countries. And they had uh, two programs. One was economic development called the New Partnership for Africa's Development. And the second one, it was the African peer review mechanism. So before the African peer review mechanism, the first one was, was a framework built to help the African countries thrive economically, socioeconomically mostly, uh, and um, build infrastructures, build collaborations for uh, infrastructure development and all kinds of economic development. But then they realized that this cannot happen if governance is not done right, if there are governance gaps that are hindering progress. So they created what they call the Africa peer review mechanism that uh, assesses governance in social economic development, democracy and political governance, corporate governance and social and economic governance and management. And uh, the purpose was to identify gaps in, uh, in these governance areas, uh, this fourth economic area, based on certain standards and codes, and then uh, identifying priorities, and then identifying implementers uh, that who would, uh, would integrate these priorities into their sectors. And that required a lot of uh, network building collaborations um, and uh, co building coalitions, or not only in Uganda, but across the continent, because some of these issues, the, one of the results was to identify cross-cutting issues across the continent so that we can work together as a continent for some of the infrastructure projects, some of the democracy, uh, political governance projects. And that art, that experience gave me a lot of foundation for uh, continuing to do this in every aspect of my life. Uh, and when I came to the United States, my first home was in Hawaii. And uh, using those, some of those skills, I did some community needs assessments and reported that to the Rotary Club that I was a part of and also shared them with the persecuting attorney. And then we tried to find, well, I worked with the persecuting attorney's office voluntarily, trying to identify partners to implement some of the you know, strategies to address some of these community needs. So, and it's something similar that I have continued applying in my, in my work, even in Acton in Massachusetts, and I will continue doing even in the state house, because what, when I look at representation, I look at it as if it's a job with a job description, every job description has skills for a job. And for representation, it's the ability to listen, to understand the issues, to connect with the community, to communicate with the community, and to translate all that into actionable items and actionable legislation. And that is something that I bring to the, my candidacy and something that I will bring to the State House.
It's so fantastic, Vivian. We would love to have you back. Your experience across, I love what you said, across the continent, and then thinking about how you would bring that experience across the Commonwealth. So if we can have you back for part two, we would love it. Is that possible? Absolutely. It'll be an honor. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. So we want everyone to have a terrific day or night, depending on when you're listening, and come back and hear part two with our interview as we continue the conversation with Vivian. Thanks, Vivian. Thanks, Vivian. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 